starting my recording. Don't worry, we got plenty of time. I just do it so I don't forget. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've uh, for first time caller, long time listener. You know, I've been I've been following what you've been doing with the Outpost show, and I haven't nice. checked out Pal Keys yet, but okay. I'm uh, I could probably get into that. I it, I, I listen to so many podcasts at this point. I'm just. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> so hard to keep up. Uh, yeah, I bet. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So I, I have my checklist that I go through just to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. Um, anything okay. in particular that you definitely want to cover? Uh, I mean... I mean, I know the outpost show is on a hiatus at the moment, um, but it is coming back in about oh, give or take five weeks' time. I mean, when is this episode coming out? Uh, Monday. <laughs> Monday. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, um, I'm in the midst of planning it all now, so we can definitely kind of broach like maybe like how to do like a like a sequel to a like a series almost of a podcast. Something that I'm discovering now because that's a whole new feeling for me. Um, and I'm doing a questionnaire. I uh, don't know if you've seen it at all, um, but uh, that's something I'm trying to push this week, um, just for feedback, really. Um, so that'd be something nice to cover. Uh, let's see. So we've got that. Uh, obviously, the Palkey thing, uh, like the writing. I mean, I've listened to a few things. I mean, listened to the um, episode with Aileen um, a few hours ago. That was pretty good. I enjoyed that one. Um is there anything in particular that you kind of you kind of want from me, whether it's maybe my productivity methods or um, kind of my workspace, things like that? You know, one of the things that that I, I did early, oh, other than banging into things, um, one of the things I did early into uh, Pitt's life was I, I stopped focusing so much on the productivity and started focusing more and more on the person. And okay. a lot of that comes from just understanding that everyone does something similar and something different. So if we can mm. figure out, you know, okay, what's the similarity and then what are the differences? People tend to, to you know, take their own productivity advice from the conversation. And yeah, um, I've learned just the the more and more you try to force it the usually the the worse it comes out so <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've i've just started making it you know talking just talking about the person and and what they're doing how they're doing it and sure. and ultimately what what are some of the struggles and the rewards from that so it it's mm-hmm. it, you know if it if it comes up it comes up but i i never try to um force the issue yeah that's great yeah that sounds good i mean i'm never one to kind of like and I'm like plan every um every uh, episode like I do without post show um just kind of just went along with it really and just uh kind of went from there but uh yeah I mean to be honest I mean we can definitely kind of broach like those topics and that to be honest yeah I'm sure we can you know um cover a lot of ground really in that um but yeah I mean I'm just willing to just kind of go freestyle and just see where it takes us really I'll be yeah. looking forward to it and and I know that you are primarily iPad life right Oh, absolutely! Yeah, that's the the whole idea of the outpost. So, um, that's that's going to be one of the things will will definitely come up because I'm I'm not iPad solo, but I am iPad heavy. So, um, I I definitely get that. And then, yeah. So the conversation, the way that it'll work is it'll be about a thirty minute conversation for the actual Mm. podcast itself. Uh, and okay. then at the end, there's uh, what's called the after show in which that you just 
ask me a bunch of questions, whatever you want to ask. I'm an open book. Um, they can be about productivity. They can be about video games. They can be about anything. Um, okay. it's, it's ultimately your time to get to learn more about me, um, either as a podcast or as a person. Um, the mm-hmm. way that I see it is I always invite people that I would love to be friends with. <laughs> so it's oh, like, nice. <laughs> so it's, it's always, it's one of those parts where like, I hate learning so much about one person and then at yeah. the end just being like, all right, thanks. And then click and and never talking to that person again. So it's a great way to keep the conversation going. Um, and then also our, uh, the pit members get to, uh, listen to this. Uh, they get to listen to the after show as well. And, and they often, they love it more than the actual podcast. So okay. I've thought about mm-hmm. just making it its own show, but at the same time, then I wouldn't have anything to give to the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> I could flip it. I could just have a regular show. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that's really smart. I like that. Yeah. That's really good. Um, cause I, I mean, I've got a Patreon myself and, uh, at the minute I've got like a feed where it kind of it's on its own schedule uh, so there's like like when the outpost show was running i'd do like an episode like the week before it was broadcast and with power keys it's kind of like a three days before but now and again i'm kind of like because i've like <laughs> like recorded and edited like so many already um i've just got like a vault essentially jay of like these episodes to go so i'm just like just take one just have an episode page patrons and just <laughs> enjoy so yeah i'm kind of figuring out actually like membership things um so yeah that's an interesting thing i'm, I'm looking into at the minute and uh, you know obviously patreon is its own little thing as well yeah it, it was interesting to see that the patreon is going in that direction i actually i stopped using patreon a year and a half ago and and went to just a standard membership model through like uh member full memberly member something i forgot it's one of the ones that connects with stripe and it the one of the the key reasons for that is i i'm i'm a productivity coach you know outside of this i'm also a audio and video editor so it's it's one of those things where I'm doing so many things and I needed a way to combine a lot of those things that Patreon just kind of didn't seem like the right spot. And yeah. um, all in all, it was like, hey, if you like what I do, any of the things that I do, here's a way that you can give me money on a regular basis. And then mm. um, I also have like other actual clients that <laughs> I just send invoices <laughs> and that's easier. <laughs> so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. No, that's fair. I mean... Even though I've got a Patreon now, I mean, I am looking actually at Memberful as like an alternative because I know a lot of people don't really want to have the hassle of signing up to a Patreon account and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, I was speaking to um, a guest who came on, um, Matt Gemmel, um, novelist, and he, he was saying how his membership works and it's all through Memberful. And I uh, have got like a page on my own site and I've got like a friend of mine who's been testing it and it works great. I mean, he just used his iPad, went onto my site, signed up for like a five pounds, uh, Patreonage for Apple pay. And he gets the same benefits, you know, without mm-hmm. having to, you know, sign up for a whole Patreon account. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's hopeful really. But I, I think I like the fact that I can give people like the choice really, rather than signing up for Patreon really. Yeah, and and the thing that I, I like more about it is it's easier on the creator because you don't have to. I might actually keep this part as the recording. I like this, um, <laughs> um, but like with Patreon, it, there's so much of a like 
do this for this much a month and then do this extra yeah. thing for this much a month. Whereas for me, it's just like, hey, five bucks a month or sorry, is it five? No, $10 a month or $100 a year. Your choice. <laughs> the, the, yeah. the, what you get is the same either way, um, but it's only one offering. And for that offering, you know, honestly, you just get a direct line to me, really. Like they they yeah. get invited to a private Slack uh, channel in our Slack that we have. And then mm. as I'm working on things, it's like, oh, hey, I just put this out. Here you go. And then, or hey, it, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm thinking of doing this kind of thing. What do you guys think about that? Or, hey, I just finished yeah. this book. Does anybody want to come on? Or does, does someone want me to mail them a copy of the book? And, you know, yeah. they, can, they can read it. And so it's, it's really more like there is no set like membership rewards it's just kind of like hey you're gonna be the people that i do things to do things for first and it's kind of it's worked i mean they're most of the people who are members are just like hey i just like what you're doing and i want to support you so i mean a lot of them i'm like well hey what would you like and they're like yeah i'm good (laughs) so (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it i mean i i hate to use like corporate speak but it's kind of like (laughs) Um, I might regret this after saying it, but like passion pays in a sense, if that makes sense, because, you know, you're pushing out like the things that you enjoy to do. And if people are willing to, you know, pay for like or to not pay, but support you, you know, through these gold coins that we call dollars or pounds or anything else. then I think it just kind of spurs you on even more to, you know, not only do like a better job of what you're doing, but, you know, kind of see what else you can do to help these people as well, you know, and uh, I know I've got a Slack myself and I've kind of dabbled in like, well, should I do a little like exclusive members for it, for Patreons? But I kind of like look at Twitter and I think, you know what, let's just bring people in regardless. Let's just have some conversation. And that's what my Slack is. So it's just, I just hand out like the invites and it's, it's become like really fun actually, because there's times where we'll do like um, like at the moment every Friday is like a podcast club instead of a book club. So everyone just kind of um, like sends over like a podcast recommendation and it's really fun and you kind of get a lot of great insights. So, uh, yeah, I am thinking about like what else I can do for that membership as well. Um, but, yeah, the member full is really encouraging at the minute. So um, I want to see how it goes there. I definitely think that memberful is is kind of the way to go for content creators going forward. Um, I just yeah. I think that I mean even Patreon has changed their model a little to to kind of mirror uh, not necessarily what memberful is doing, but kind of go similar, go along those lines. And and if you look at what a lot of the larger um, podcast organizations like Relay FM and um, I don't know if Maximum Fun does it or not. I know they do their big fun drive, but uh, yeah. I know a lot of the larger podcast groups are kind of closer to this, hey, pay for a membership. The membership gets you certain things, but it's not like you get, you know, option A for $2 a month, option B for, you know, $3 a month, option C for $500 a month. And you're just, it's just like, mm. you, you know, it's it's too much to maintain. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I get that. I mean, I am a bit worried because, I mean, Patreon did buy a member for like last August. So there is that like underlying feeling of like, well, are they going to maybe, you know, merge the whole thing like in a couple years time? But they have say, like said that they are going to keep it independent, similar to how like Facebook goes with Instagram and WhatsApp. So, you know, I'm hopeful in a sense, but I think there's always that kind of niggling part at the back of your mind to think, 
well, what if, you know, how could this impact the members that I have now? Um, how is it going to happen with, say, you know, the cut that they would get? And I mean, Patreon and Memberful, because, you know, even like Memberful, I mean, you know, five pounds and I'll get, oh, I think it's four pound 30 of it. So 70 pence goes to them. So, you know, there's, there's another factor in this as well, but you know, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of happy with how it is at the minute. Um, I think at the moment it's just a fact of because of this exclusive podcast feed I have on Patreon. Um, what I did for my friend who signed up to the member for, I just gave him like the Patreon podcast feed and it saved me a hell of a job because it just meant that I didn't have to set up a whole private podcast feed on my site. I just sent him the Patreon one, which is so much easier um but uh whether that's cheating i don't know but it's just an easier way of kind of giving members like another benefit well you know one of the things that i did um when because i mean we have a, a second feed for the members uh, is uh, i use transistor which was created by i can't think of his name right now it's uh Mega Maker Justin Jackson um, out of mm. out of Canada, and he, he's one of these like serial makers where he just makes a bunch of stuff and then tells people about it. And um, the thing I like about it is it's a single rate for all of your podcasts, no matter how many mm. that you host, and you pay for you pay per downloads. So yeah. I mean, none of my podcasts. I think I think the lowest tier is like fifteen thousand downloads a month or something like that. And it's okay. $10 a month. So I have like seven podcasts that are hosted on Transistor <laughs> that wow. just sit there. And, and I'll put out a show on, you know, what I'm with Jay Miller. I'll put out a show on Pitt. I'll put out a show on, you know, Ask a Brit. And yeah. I'm still just paying $10. Like I'm not paying, you know, $10 for this for this podcast, $10 for this podcast. It's just a one-time fee. And, and really with sure. – uh, with J&J Media, uh, one of the things that uh, my friend Jamie and I are trying to do is leverage that to bring more people in, uh, yeah. I guess, to kind of create our own somewhat of a network of like, hey, you want to get a podcast off the ground, you're going to need you know social media capabilities. So we have a buffer account that people can sign up for. You, you, know, you can jump onto our Transistor account and yeah. host essentially your podcast for free. Um, we have a single, it's called a Ko-Fi, it's like KO-FI, um, where the funds for that go to all of the artists. But then we also let um, those podcast. you know, if you have a podcast on that network, if you want to do your own private Patreon, you can, um, and yeah. you get to keep 100% of that. And, uh, and all we ask is that you, you know, help pay for the transistor fees if we do reach, you know, over the 15K mark. And then we got to jump up and it's like $30 a month. But it's, yeah. it's a way to make podcasting still your property, but also be economically viable instead of having to mm. uh, basically give your content to Anchor. And while, you know, Anchor's owned by Spotify now, it's like, well you can you could do that but there's no guarantee that they're not going to advertise on top of your content without your consent <laughs> yeah that's it i mean it's such a, a weird place this podcast market now because you know like you say anchor is now the property of spotify and as soon as you go into that search icon on spotify on the app straight away it's not discover new music or you know browse the playlist it's podcasts so they are putting it front and center and it makes me wonder really as to whether you know 
Apple are going to be pushing podcasts more when it comes to WWE in june really because you know they pushed out the web player for podcasts that's really smart now um but you know there's think there's a lot more work to do on that front with podcasts with apple uh you know i I really want them to make a whole podcast creation app really um on the ipad would be great you know because i've said in a few episodes on outpost show i mean i'm i'm just recording on off my macbook air and it it can be such a nightmare and especially for the last few weeks actually jay because the keyboard isn't working properly oh, anymore no. <laughs> i have to like pop up my s key because it just doesn't register the s's which is fantastic and i'm only down to one usb port now because the one on the right just not work at all and um, so i would love them to actually do something with the podcast um on the ipads really um but yeah the whole marketplace at the minute is i think is so much up in the air now um and i think it's a wait and see really i don't know maybe whether it's going to be this year we might see some development but hopefully by the time it's next wwdc who knows i know the rumor um going around right now is that they're talking about um kind of segmenting the itunes app into all of those different areas that it contains right now. And podcasts were one of those. It was going to be a standalone application. Um, I, yeah. I'm interested in that because I'm not I'm not one that listens to podcasts too often on, on a computer. Um, usually yeah. it is on like my iPhone or my iPad. But I could definitely see where someone who's at work and you're working on your computer – if, if you mm. just were able to open up your podcast app and just have it, you know, in the background, I could see yeah. that really working. Yeah, I can. Yeah, especially when it's maybe just um, primarily in the menu bar in the notification center of macOS. I think that could work really well. Uh, but, you know, like you say, I mean, there are rumors that they're splitting it all up. And I, I mean, I can see it working. I really can. I think more so with podcasts than anything, really. And I think the music app is going to be something to watch out for because I can't see the iOS app very moving over to Mac well in its current form. Um, I feel like there's a whole redesign there due for it to work on both systems. But with podcasts, I think there's a lot to um, to improve there. And I think from just seeing the web improvements I think that's a sign that we're going to see, I think, podcasts be improved the most, really, on and on macOS as well. So, but you know what? It's a long time coming, this, with iTunes, because I only use it really for, you know, loading up a few films on my iPad um, when needed. And when I go onto it, I mean, my God, it's, it's not the greatest of apps anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember when I, you know, when the first podcast were brought out to iTunes, I even remember the version number. That's how much of a nerd I am. It's ridiculous, <laughs> but um, it's, it's a, it's a nostalgic app now, I think. And I think it's time to go really. It's uh, yeah. I just think it's time. <laughs> Well, I definitely think that the the iTunes app, like I, I do use the iTunes app uh, or the iTunes yeah app on my computer regularly. But like I said, it's one of those where I'm at work, I'm listening to music, I have a yeah. playlist, and I just I tell it, you know, hey, play the you know play the song or whatever. Um, but yeah. still, I I am interested in seeing what this next WWDC is going to bring. Only in that um, as a developer. <laughs> I really want to be able to develop freely on my iPad. I want I want my iPad yeah. to feel like it is its own machine. Like right now I have my iPad in front of me 
and I'm using my Luna display to mirror my recording setup, you know, on my computer. So I don't like <laughs> yeah. I'm in an, an isolated area for audio reasons, but I still can look at my waveform. I can look at your waveform, make sure there's no weird issues. I'm looking at my counter yeah. to see how long we've been talking. And mm. it's I, I want the ability to do that without having to plug into my Mac mini because yeah. I mean, I've had so many times where uh, a good example of this, I'm editing a video and I'm watching my daughter, you know, play in, in the living room. And I'm mm. like, you know, I could be doing this a lot easier if I had my uh, magic trackpad in front of me. And unfortunately, my office is in on one side of the house and the living room's on the other side of the house and the Bluetooth isn't going to connect. So for yeah, me, it's yeah. like I'm I'm trying to hit these touch points on a video uh, with, with an Apple Pencil and it's like just it's not working and and there's this audio delay feeding back through airfoil and it's just like i'm making all of these um sacrifices in quality on Mm. pieces of equipment that are quite frankly too expensive and (laughs) i'm i'm doing it just so that i can continue to be a part of my you know my family and spend time with my family and uh, that's that's a problem that's something that needs to be rectified yeah yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's something that I've I had to kind of really pull back when I was doing the final episodes about Pro Show because I kept saying that I want to see improvements to iPad and iOS 13. But I think like more than ever now, you know, we're seeing that the iPads, like hardware, I mean, it, it's reached a point where it, it's so fast, it's such a, a great design, and everything's there now. It's ready to go. I feel like it's just waiting now for June. That's it. I, and I, I have said this before, but I'll, I'll say it now. Um, but I think because those features were held back with 12 a year ago, you know, I think if history had taken a different route and those features that we read about last year weren't held back and they were brought to 12, I think we would have seen like a massive improvement for the iPad. And for iOS 12, we would have seen different features and we would have thought, yeah, this is it. We are seeing a change in the ipad here so i feel like with june this particular wwdc is something that a lot of people are uh, keeping an eye on really i think i think ever since not since uh ios 7 really since people were looking at a redesign for ios i think this is the next step now instead of looking at maybe low-hanging fruit, they're looking to see what the iPad is going to bring for a new version of iOS now. And a lot of people want it. You know, a lot of people have spent a lot of money, really. And they want to make sure that they'll be able to do the work that they're doing on other devices onto the iPad now. So I'm really looking forward to this. I mean, we're, what, seven weeks away? So it's not long. It's not long at all. So I'm going to take that moment. You were talking about the work that's done on an iPad. I'm going to just jump it right into the show, uh, continuing it on. Um, (laughs) You are a a writer, and I I know that you're a writer. You've been featured in in Wired Magazine. You've been on The Loop. You've you've written for some pretty uh, popular publications. And you're doing Mm. all of that on your iPad, correct? Yeah. Absolutely. So the the question that I have, and I think it's something that a lot of people tend to overlook, um, you know, as someone who is also primarily an iPad user over the Mac side of things, 
do you yeah. ever find it difficult to coordinate and collaborate with people who are not primarily iOS, you know, device users? Uh, interesting. Uh, sometimes, because when I'm working with certain publications, they have to either have a format in, say, like Microsoft Word format, or they're using like CMS systems, content management systems, which aren't, was isn't WordPress. So it's it can be difficult sometimes to kind of you know send the content across um, because you know there are CMSs out there which aren't really built for mobile operating systems. So sometimes they will just have to say, look, can I just email you this document instead and just see what we can go from there? Um, but really, to be honest, Jay, that's like really the main and only main block I've had um, because, you know, there are certain ways around it. I mean, there are kind of other browsers that kind of that can render web pages as a desktop browser. And there's iCab Mobile, which has been really useful. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it can depend on the publication, but. Overall, Jay, I, it's been a, it's really been a non-issue. And and how is that has that's improved over the last couple of years? I, I would definitely assume. You know, I, yeah. I still, I still have like bills that I go online to pay for, and and no matter, it's funny. I have a better resolution on my iPad than I do on my my Mac Mini because it's plugged into this, you know, whatever monitor. I don't even know who makes it, um, but. It actually doesn't like the website won't load on my iPad because it says, "Oh, well, you you need Chrome or Internet Explorer," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> and, <laughs> and luckily, if I just if I just pull up Safari on on my Mac Mini, it works. But it's mm. still it's funny that there's still this mindset of like we haven't even acknowledged that mobile exists still this at this day and age. I mean, like mobile phones have mm. been popular for almost two decades now and people are still not um tailoring their content with the mobile first idea yeah that's it i mean the feature in safari where it says request desktop site i mean that's been really useful for you know, certain situations like this but there are times where you'll press it and it won't request for desktop it'll just reload the page which isn't really the greatest of uh, you know moments but I mean, I'll go back to iCab Mobile because I'll just go in and I'll say, right, it's saying to use Chrome or Internet Explorer. So all I do is just go into iCab Mobile, go into the settings, and I'll say, right, can you now say that I am logging on to a computer with Internet Explorer or Microsoft Edge, and it will just render the page as if I'm using a desktop class internet browser and I can just use all the features as I can on the iPad. So iCab Mobile has been so useful for that, you know, um, especially when I'm playing my uh, my electric bill. That's really helped actually the last few months. So I don't know if you heard the ding, but I literally just downloaded iCab Mobile because I, I want to <laughs> see... Because, I mean, that that's ridiculous that, that we have to go to those lengths to to actually not not necessarily do anything innovative but it's always like the basic things like you said paying your electric bill <laughs> you know yeah. it's it's, it's <laughs> crazy how that you know that industry is still a thousand years behind and and as someone yeah. who you know my day job I work for a company that you know we we're not in a 
glamorous industry. You know, we we sell sanitary products, we sell cleaning products. Um, right. So, I mean, most of our biggest customers are like bulk cleaning companies and janitors, you know, services and things like that. And yeah. it's like the same headache. It's like, hey, we need a mobile first mentality. Hey, we need to make sure that we're we're not rendering things um, using outdated tools. And and they're just like, mm. but why? Like no one no mm. one's complaining. And it's like it's not that they're not complaining. It's you're alienating this entire market because you're refusing to keep up to date with current technology. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there is another fear that kind of goes in when I see like this only has to be used on a desktop computer because then that makes me think, oh, no, they're going to require flash now. It's not just this (laughs) this browser. It's going to be flash. And I'm like, there is no feature on iPad or iCab mobile that's going to do this for me. So, you know, luckily, I haven't actually come across that yet, which is I'm actually surprised by it, to be honest, because then that gives me the impression of, well, if you're still requiring a, a Chrome desktop, then why can't it just come to iPad anyway? You know, so, you know, I'll go on to tools and tools on iCab mobile and it just works fine. You know, there's there's no issue there. I mean, I'm looking at the issue and um, the features now and um, the types of what I can go on. I can go on PlayStation 3 for some reason, Pocket PC, Nexus 1, Chrome 54, um, Internet Explorer 6 if I want to go really like retro. It's there. So, you know, I I haven't requested, it hasn't requested anything for Flash yet, which is great. So at the moment, it's a good workaround. But, you know, to be honest, again, if I can have this on Safari in 13, then I'll be great. It'll be great. I'm looking forward to that if it happens. You know, I I think the next question that I had is, is probably one that, um, I don't know, it's more of a, I guess, a philosophy question for you. Um, yeah. as someone who writes content, you know, that's, that is, I would, I would believe your primary source of, of income, mm. um, yeah. as someone who writes content, I often see one of the biggest offenders of way too many ads on a web page <laughs> served mm. by these publication sites. And and I understand where they're coming from. Newspapers make money by selling ads and selling, you know, sections on their pages. Magazines yeah. are the exact same way. A lot of these uh, internet publication sites are owned or work with those same publication companies. So why not transfer that same idea of selling real estate on your page? But as someone who writes content, how does it, how do you approach the ad, um, the adpocalypse, I think, as people have called it? How do I approach it? Well, so do you mean like kind of like maybe like SEO, like maybe kind of, you know, um, aiming articles towards, you know, what the advertisement could be? Doing it on certain pages or uh, more more along the lines of like in your personal internet usage, are you? I mean, are you running yeah. an ad blocker? Are you? Um, right. Are you a proponent of having to block ads? You mentioned not uh, of being afraid of being asked to run Flash. Um, obviously, there are some security issues with that, but there are also mm. security issues with a lot of malicious ads that get you know, snuck into these ad aggregation tools. And mm. um, I, I've always, I've always kind of felt, you know, 
both sides of the argument on that of like, hey, these writers have to get paid in order for them to get paid unless I'm giving them money to read their content. I need to keep these ads up. But at the same time, if the ads are potentially dangerous or if they're making the viewing experience terrible, I don't Mm. I don't want to support that. So, I, I mean, I run ad blockers, but at the same time. I'm also one that feels like I will join a membership if I want to support that, you know, that creator. Yeah, yeah that's it. I mean, I do have like a, a an ad blocker that runs on my iPad called OneBlocker X, and it's great. But you know, I've spent a good it must have been up to an hour of just making sure that I'm kind of blocking the right things. I don't want to just block everything on the web because, you know, I'm, I'm a proponent of like, you know, the web being an open standard and with journalism and writing, you know, unfortunately we're in a world where ad does pay it, it pays and it, and it attracts a lot of people to the publications really. Uh, but, you know, there are like blockers in there where, you know, there could be, you know, like um, certain cookies you don't want or, you know, certain breadcrumbs that will follow you. I mean, Facebook was definitely guilty of that last year. But, you know, I think when it comes to ads on a lot of like journalism sites and news sites, I, I do keep the blocker off on that because it, it is what keeps like the like the sites going and it's what pays a lot of us as well you know really you know we see a lot of you know lists articles listicles people call them or you know they're even moving to youtube you know in form of like their you know, top 10 um you know surprises in loss that you may have missed you know things like that but it does it pays the bills you know and i'm i am a support I'm supportive of it. And I think especially in this day and age, you know, of whether it's politics or social media or, you know, just society or, or, you know, just the social groups that we all hang around in, you know, it's everyone has an opinion. And I think when it comes to the ads, you just have to support it. You have to kind of accept it that that is the way of the world. And uh, I mean, from just a, a view of mine that a lot of my writing is, know it is a lot of my main income i just accept it you know it, it is just one of those things where it has to be done we're not it, we you know we love our lives where we you know we have to put with a lot of things where we don't really like it but we just do it anyway and i think with some certain things with ads i think the same applies really so yeah so we earlier we were talking about uh, the the membership idea and you know, it's it's interesting that there are these like <laughs> it's funny that in order to to get around ads, people want mm. to become members instead of just mm. like why not both? Like I think that's actually one of the interesting things that I did. Um, there's a podcast that I've been listening to for uh, probably five years now called Daily Tech News Show, and right. um, you know, avid listener to it, and I've for the longest have been a patron, you know, of their work, but I still listen to the normal feed with the ads in it. And I mm. do that because it's like, why not pay them twice? <laughs> you know, why yeah, not, true. Yeah. why not give them the extra penance? You know, if I'm really getting that much value out of it, like I could give them more money or I could take advantage of this, this way that, you know, my view on this you know, feed gives them, generates them more income. Mm. And and I, I think it's funny that we villainized ads and, and I'm not someone who says that advertisements are bad. I don't think they're bad. I think if they're mm. done in 
unethical ways, then they're bad. If they're done in ways that are sneaky or malicious, then they're bad. Yeah. Um, if if your you know five hundred word uh, you know article has four hundred words of ads in it, you know around it, then that's also mm. a problem. But ultimately, I I think it's come to the point where ads done in good taste aren't bad, mm. but they're rarely ever done in good taste. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I have done articles last month actually where I've said about how you know Spotify are advertising their family plan to get a, a free Google Home Mini, and I've done articles that have said about this, you know, and I've promoted it essentially, and. I always do in a way where, you know, it it kind of helps you discover, you know, why this would be beneficial for you, you know, how how this would be good for like say your family or if you're moving in somewhere, you know, not to sound like a generic ad, you know, just to sound like it's it's fun to read and you actually learn something from it. So I was listing like say the benefits of what a mini can do and also Spotify too. So I, I totally agree there, Jay, because you know, you have to kind of you know, do an article where it's not just reading out, out an ad about, you know, a certain web provider. It's it's saying about the benefits of something, but how you can get something out of it in a great and educational way. So, yeah, I, I totally get what you mean there. And and I think that there are, um, there are a few tech writers who have done a really good job about doing that. You know, they, they limit the amount of ads they have on their page by yeah. doing full-fledged sponsor posts and saying, mm. you know, hey, this is a sponsored post. This is what it's about. All right, now we're going to continue with the conversation about uh, whatever the primary content is. And and I'm I'm okay with that because it, it's it's funny how advertising works. Like the idea of like the the Coca-Cola mentality is we are going to put ourselves so like everywhere so that when anyone thinks of a soda, they immediately think Coca-Cola. Like it's, it, yeah. you don't necessarily have to listen to the ad in order to have the ad work. And I think that's mm. something that people tend to forget. Like mm. I thought of Luna Display because I've heard so many podcasts mention, oh yeah, I have a Luna Display now and yeah. it's great and you should use it. And I've heard it so many times that now I skip the ad, but it's it's not that I'm skipping the ad because I don't want to support the person. It's like I already own a Luna display. I'm not going to buy another one. <laughs> so, you know, for yeah. me it doesn't make sense. Like I, we have a Casper mattress, a Luna display. Um, I think we've tried HelloFresh and Dollar Shave Club. So it's like podcast advertising obviously worked for us. But at the <laughs> same time, it wasn't because I had to sit there and listen to the minute long ad read. I think you could make yeah. it a 10 second ad read and be perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, I've listened to a fair few podcasts where they'll mention Squarespace and it doesn't apply to me because I'm already paying for a hosting service for my site and the two podcasts, you know, through other means. So I do skip that bit. You know, I admit that. And there's a few podcast networks out there who, you know, advertise squarespace so much and i'll just skip it but i know that if someone is looking to build like a website or a friend of mine i will say oh i've just heard about this offer about squarespace you should get in on that so you know i'll skip the ads 
but usually when I press, you know, skip 30 seconds, usually they'll say about the little code. <laughs> so I'll just kind of like remember it and go, oh, here's this little thing. You should take it. So, yeah, I think it helps um, and it benefits everyone, really. So, uh, yeah, I know what you mean there. So I think the last question that I'll have before we jump into probably more fun conversation is how has the switch to freelance kind of changed how you do things? Because I know know that's kind of a big question, you know, it's like, hey, what's the meaning of life? You know, like, but no, like uh, you, you recently, uh, I think it was last earlier this at the beginning of the year or late last year, you made the decision to to go freelance and and to have that be your sole source of income. Um, That's something Mm. I'm in my journey to get to that point now. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm interested in what were some of the, the big decisions that you had to make? And then also, where were some of the struggles that, you know, you, if you're not constantly running into them, you know, that you did mm. run into? Oh, right. Uh, I'm, I'm, I might ramble on this, Jay. So feel free to edit this. <laughs> Go right ahead. Uh, uh, so, I mean, when I, so I went freelance uh, end of September last year, but it was a lot of planning. I mean, so much planning because I had to make sure that, you know, first of all, that I had gigs that I could write and the invoices were going to be coming in so I could pay the rent. You know, that was first of all. The second one was the fact that I was going to give myself like a a certain time period, you know, almost like when you start a job, it's like a probation period, you know, so I gave myself kind of three months to see how it would go. And kind of like, you know, almost kind of talk to myself in a strange way and go, right, what went right? What went wrong? Uh, So a lot of planning is absolutely important. And also having a, um, and this helped a lot, especially at Christmas, um, having a a separate bank account of a rainy day fund. Because if it happens and you, you have that time where invoices are delayed or you get pictures where they're just kind of rejected, you've got to have some backup money spare just in case and so that's incredibly important um, important i can't stress that enough i think another thing is i mean you have to love it really you you have to enjoy it you have to know that this is what you want to do i mean it took me so long to decide of who i was who i what i wanted to do i mean for so long i was unsure of what i want to do at, at you know college university and you know i did the it job and it was lovely but I just couldn't do it and I was just at a point where I had a crossroads in last June in my nine to five job of just putting in data into an Excel spreadsheet of like is this really what I want to do do I really want to get excited about a certain project that's going to take advantage of an Excel spreadsheet no no I don't I want to talk about what I'd love to you know use play and write about and it just I think a lot of planning, like I say, you can plan so much really, but it's not until you actually take that jump that you actually realize that there are certain things that you struggle with. One of the things is mental health, which is something that I was really kind of aware of because I had like a massive panic anxiety attack oh, about two years ago, actually now this month in April, which I always remember now and harken back to. And... I always make sure that I have time for myself. So there are there were moments where I would, you know, know that I was on the verge of maybe kind of panicking and thinking, oh God, I, I don't know whether I'll be able to pay like the rent or a bill or something. And 
a, another factor in helping this was just family and friends because they knew that I wanted to do this and my relationship as well I mean my partner who I live with I mean I I'm just amazed that there were you know there were nights where I would struggle and she was there to help and you know eternally grateful to that and I think you need that kind of support around you as well when you're doing this you need to believe that people have faith in you if they believe in you then that is a massive massive help you could be struggling so much one day jay and just for someone to text your whatsapp you're going oh i just read this in wired and i thought it's really good that can mean the world that can mean a lot so i think time for yourself is an important thing for those times where you're struggling and you think that you know no work is coming in because the thing is you did this for a reason that's one thing above all you're doing it because you enjoy it and you know that you're you're almost meant to do it it's what you're supposed to do i don't want to be too philosophical but up to a point you're kind of on this land to do you know what you want to do you're not really bound by a nine-to-five job that you have to please someone else for you have to do it for yourself and self-respect i think is a big part of this as well you have to know that you're doing it you have to enjoy it and if you think that it's not for you then you know there's no defeat in it there's no feeling bad about it because you've done it i think the worst thing in this world is not trying not knowing that you know what what could have happened and i'm always living on that belief of never live on a what if you know lifestyle just go for it and see because you're going to look back in many years to come and think god what what would have happened if i didn't do that you know so um six months in i'm happy with it um but you know i'm happy to admit that there are times where you know i'll I'll take like a day job now and again you know i'm doing it at the minute you know because you know i feel like you kind of need that kind of break that kind of way of just breaking things up and almost giving you like your mind a refresh because it can feel like cabin fever um like writing away pitching away because you're just writing from an iPad. I mean, you know, you're not really kind of going up to people and saying, I'm a freelancer, here we go, let's do a magazine article. It doesn't work like that. Um, so, yeah, it's just a lot of passion first and foremost. But if you believe you can do it, then, you know, I'll be first in that line to help you and encourage you. Even if it's 2 a.m. and you're struggling, I will could gladly encourage you to just keep going so uh yeah six months on i'm happy um i know it's the right thing i'm doing i'm enjoying it um but i know i've got a lot of work to do but we'll see how it goes jay i hope that wasn't much of a ramble for you <laughs> no not at all and, and and that was that was encouraging and, and like i said you know there are there's so many different ways to to properly and and like ethically present your work and i i think that that's something that you know the the more and more that you show like you said you have to want to do it the more you show that passion in the Mm. work the less likely you are to fall under the you know the dirty ads and you know, listicles just for the sake of writing listicles. I mean, like you said, you know, they pay the bills, but when you get to actually write a piece that you're passionate about, 
you mm. you can often sense that passion. Um, there was a YouTube video completely unrelated to any of this um, that uh, one of the writers for or one of the creators for Polygon did, um, which was the perfect pokey rap. And <laughs> in the, it's like a 40 minute video. It's like a talk that he gave. And yeah. just the, the song itself is only eight minutes long. But the as he was talking about it, he he broke into more and more about why Pokemon as a as a game, uh, what it meant to him and and you know, what his favorite Pokemon was and and what it was like, you know, undertaking a project like this and, and all of the different areas. And you could just tell that he was so excited to finally be presenting something like that. And yeah. I, I think that that is the thing that drives a lot of freelancers, um, not necessarily the people who are saying, Hey, we need to do something that's going to get a thousand clicks, you know, so mm. that we can make a hundred dollars off this article. Um, I mean, that's something that I look at each and every week that I do this. Like I make very, very little off of this podcast, <laughs> like <laughs> less, less than a hundred dollars a month, uh, probably mm. less than $50 a month, I think. But at the same time, I still take the time out to have these conversations with people. And, and I try to get people who are not just in the tech space, not just in the productivity space, not just people yeah. that have like a unique style, but people who are also passionate about the things that they're doing. And mm. that is something, uh, listening to the conversation that you had, uh, was it with Greg? I cannot remember. I think it was with Greg. Um, I think it was, yeah. About, you know, going freelance and and just trying to find a coffee shop that had decent internet. You know, that's, mm. <laughs> those are things that like, as someone who has, who is, who's trying to get to that point, that's something that I got to think about, you know, there, yeah. there are so many Starbucks in town, but if I go to one that has the worst internet, then I'm not going to be able to get work done. And mm. just knowing like, okay, Hey, this Starbucks is better than this Starbucks because the, the internet's faster or there's less people that go to this one. So I can actually get more yeah, work yeah. done or this one's quieter than that one. Um, it's, it's just interesting to hear conversations that are not dynamic or, you know, epic and get value from them because of the voice that's coming from behind the microphone, the passion that's coming from behind the microphone. And I mm -hmm. think that that's something that you've done very well. And I, I want to applaud you on that. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why I also wanted you on the show, because as, as someone who is, who is looking at the success that you're having um, and trying to figure out how I can emulate that in audio and video editing and productivity coaching, <laughs> it's, it, it seems, uh, it seems like I need more people like that talking mm. about their journey and their struggles and their successes. Yeah, I mean, um, I can only say like thank you, Jay, for that. It's uh, that does mean a lot. I mean, I'm I do all this because I I enjoy it. I mean, I know that you know the reason I did Outpost Show was because that I just love using my iPad and I just wanted to talk to people out there who you know use the iPad for their own reasons and it's been great. And the same with Power Keys. I mean, I've just I love games. I mean, it's ever since I was four years old playing Sonic 3 for the first time, you know, it's great. And 
just interviewing so many people out there it's just been amazing just to just have fun and just to you know really just kind of you know bounce off ideas of like what could have been what can be and what this particular game meant to people out there and it's such a great feeling because you can just tell in their voice that they are enjoying it and I've always had an aim really with anyone who I interview is just to feel that they're at ease you know no matter what if it feels too robotic or there's too many silences then you know it's not going to make for a great episode because you know they're not you know they'll clamp up and i always want to make sure that they're just comfortable that's like the one aim that i always get when i'm doing an episode as long as they're comfortable then i know we're gonna have a good time and i also actually try to just make them laugh at the first five minutes i think if you do that then you're going to be fine that's like the main thing because you can just then like just ask them you know what really kind of spurs them on what keeps them going what what they enjoy and it becomes like a great episode you know and you know hopefully you know i've I've actually just added this up now and it's crazy like i've almost done 70 episodes you know (laughs) for outpost show and palkies all together and i hope that's kind of you know showed through really and i'm just looking forward really to what you know future episodes will bring for both shows well, I'm definitely excited to uh, hear about the return of the Outpo- uh, Outpost show, and I'm going to start checking out Pal Keys again. I uh, might have to give me a week or two, but I'm, I'm putting <laughs> it. I'm putting it on my to do list to check that out. Brilliant. Uh, before we jump into the after show, this has been a great conversation. Let everyone know um, how they can get in touch with you if they if they so choose. Yeah, sure. So um, de- I've just recently redone my website, which shows everything. So it's just DarylBaxter.com. I'm going to spell my first thing because everyone gets it wrong. It's amazing. But D-A-R-Y-L, then Baxter.com. And you can also find like my two uh, podcasts. So the one that's going at the moment, Pal Keys, which is a show where I interview a guest about their favorite game and boss stage and the Outpost show which um, season one was about interviewing people about their iPads and how they used it. And the return of it is in the midst of being done. So expect that very soon. And on Twitter, I'm usually on there, um, usually kind of saying about Star Wars, definitely recently as well. Um, That's just Daryl Baxter. Um, But you can pretty much find me anywhere else with the same handle. So uh, yeah, it'd be great for a chat. All right. So I think that's going to actually wrap up the the interview. That was different because it, it kind of just had a rolling start and I liked it. Um, I might have to do that right. more in the future. But are you ready for the after show? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All I'm right. Here, here's my here's my little spiel. I always got to give it. Um, so at the end of every show, I, fl- I pass over the host baton to you. This is now your show. And, and as a podcaster Ooh. with a couple of shows, you've, you're probably comfortable asking questions. But I am your guest. This is your show to talk about whatever you want. If it's the podcast that you've always wanted but never been able to make, this <laughs> is it. And I am now handing it over to you. The show is yours. Okay, right. So welcome to the after show. So I am joined by an incredible guest in this after show. He can only be Jay Miller of the incredible Productivity in Tech podcast, which we've just had a chat with. It's been fantastic. So Jay, I mean, how do you think this uh, last hour went? I mean, it has been in the making, hasn't it? Because um, unfortunately, I've been ill a few times. Um, You've been ill a couple of times. How do you think it's gone? I I think it was worth the wait. I mean, it was was one of those (laughs) things that... A lot of the things that we talked about 
were things that have happened in between these reschedulings. And it's, it's interesting in how that works. Uh, of Who knows what we would have talked about that first meeting. It probably would have mm. been our iPads or, or who knows what. But, you know, we, I think we put out a good show. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing because uh, it's crazy because like it'll come up to three weeks now where I broke my ankle. So it's just been a, an interesting time really of just um, definitely um, changing my work style and my workflow with everything now because of this ankle. But uh, yeah, I've had to reschedule a few other things as well, but I'm just definitely getting back into the swinging things now. But um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this last hour. It's been great. It's almost felt like therapy in a sense because, you know, when you're kind of like writing away and you're pitching away in this office of mine, it feels like cabin fever now and again. Um, so I just kind of want to know really, Jay, I mean, what is kind of like your your thing to do to kind of like chill out when you're not kind of podcasting things is it gaming is it music is it watching netflix and chill maybe what is it that kind of like you relax with jay i think for me it it is a lot of gaming um honestly i i don't relax all that often (laughs) you know i i need to relax (laughs) more probably but um just spending time with my wife my daughter uh, my daughter's seven months old so you know we're we're still trying to figure that whole thing out and you know, mm. I play a lot of Tetris. I, I think if I had to say the the one thing that is the most uh, relaxing for me is either Hearthstone or Tetris. And um, right. there's actually a Tetris tournament going on this weekend, so I'm excited about that. Tetris 99 is having a, uh, like, uh, I think it's like the top 999 uh, players yes. get 999, like, Nintendo coin or something like that. Mm, yeah, I've been playing a, a bit of it, and it's just... It's crazy just how I've been playing so much of that, more so than I thought, actually, because I remember having a Game Boy and having Tetris my first game, and it's amazing just using those Joy-Cons to just play a bit of Tetris 99. It's so addicting. It's crazy. Um, But, yeah, I mean, well, then again, like the Switch itself is just an amazing system on its own. It's I, I love it. I'm, I'm in the middle of actually of um, reviewing Cuphead, um, which is a port from the Xbox, and that's just another amazing game I'm playing. So, uh, yeah, I love the Switch, Jay, I have to say. I'm looking forward to what that brings. I feel like the Switch is the sleeper, like, best console in this generation. Like, it's, it's yeah. interesting that, like, Nintendo, they... They either hit way high or they just like flop. And I feel like what they should do, this is, this is Nintendo. If anyone in, uh, from Nintendo is listening to this, make the product, don't publish it, and then mm. just like make the next product. <laughs> like, just do that. Because <laughs> like they had the, the, the Wii, which was a hit. And then the Wii U came out and people were like, eh, I mean, it, it's not bad. Like, I owned one. I was like, yeah. eh, I kind of like it. But then yeah. like the Switch came out and it was just like, this is way better than, I don't know what that first thing was. But I understand they had to, <laughs> they had to make the Wii U controller to to get to the switch like you can tell yeah. like it's that same feel and look it's just a, a lot thinner and easier to play and the games are better uh so i i definitely understand the need to in to make those middle consoles but man they just they're terrible and just like mm. just make them and then be like all right we made this thing now let's make it better and then release that <laughs> 
Yeah, that's it. It's so strange that Wii U because it, looking back now with the Switch, it almost looks like a prototype of the Switch now. <laughs> you know, just yeah. like it was just made like just off the conveyor belt and go, oh, this is it now. This is the prototype of the Switch. Let's just bring out to market and just see how it goes. And we all know how that story went out. So now with the Switch, we've seen like the final products and it's amazing. I mean, I read a, like a, a theory somewhere with, um, going off in another tangent here but it's still relatable and with star trek films of how the even numbered films are the good ones but when you go to the odd one it's not as good um and, and that's like kind of like the same thing that's applying with nintendo a lot of people are so you had like say after the snes it was the you know ben 64 was was great you know because i had mario 64 and zelda it went to the GameCube and it had these mini discs, so it didn't play DVDs, which was a big thing back in the day. Then you had the Wii, which was a massive success, incredible. Then the Wii U and then the Switch. So it's like odd, even, odd, even, odd, even, which is a strange thing. So I'm very curious to see what the next line of Switch um, plans are, whether they go maybe the iPad, iPhone route and just release like a second generation Switch. I can see that happening uh but yeah i'll be curious to see what their plans are for the next model well i I know that after the super nintendo or i think it was like the super famicom that they had but um they had like this attachment they were supposed to add to it so that you could use discs and that wound up becoming the sony playstation and I mean, I'm okay with that. Like, if they just want to, like, make some goofy attachment, decide they're not going to do it, and then that becomes, like, the next big hit gaming console, I'm perfectly mm. fine with that, too. That would be – that's a great market. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, definitely looking back now, I mean, they've always had plans of, like, adding, like, a disk drive to something or another feature. I mean, I read somewhere that, you know, 3D was something they were trying to get off the ground for years. I mean, as far back as the... The Virtual Boy. The, yeah, the Virtual Boy, yeah, yeah. And even, like, the um, the canned sequel to the Game Boy, they codenamed it Atlantis, and that was going to be graphics of, like, PlayStation quality, but it never got off the ground. And then they were trying to make an add-on for the GameCube, so Luigi's Mansion was going to have a 3D element to it. And that didn't come to pass, but now it did because Luigi's Mansion got a remake on the 3DS. So they all, they do like go back to their like previous plans and like kind of recycle it in a good way to, uh, you know, either a, a new game or a new system. And of course, you know, with the, uh, the, the Labo VR that recently got released, I mean, it was only recently discovered that they, if there's a Virtual Boy Easter egg in there, so that is going to be such a throwback. So that just makes me want to buy it just for that Easter egg, really. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like they, they've they not been afraid to innovate, but I think that... Because like, even when the 3DS came out, like the 3D feature was probably more of a hindrance than it was a, a perk. <laughs> like I know that like there were no games that I owned that supported the 3DS that I, or the 3D features that I actually used the 3D on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I bought a 3DS, just for Smash Brothers, really, and I was playing Ocarina of Time, and I just didn't like the 3D. I just kept switching it off. I mean, it just wasn't great. I didn't see the benefits, so I was just playing the whole way through it with 2D, to be honest. And I think Nintendo realizes, because they brought up the... It was called the new DDS. Sorry, the new 2DS XL. So it was just the normal design, but 2D, and that was it. So it 
you know, it, they realise it. They listen to the feedback. So, uh, yeah, it's it is a strange thing. I don't think they'll come back to actual 3D now. I think they're just going all in with the Switch. So whether they split off a Switch into different products, I don't know. But I'd be very curious to see maybe if they bring something else in at E3 or at a later date. I would love to see AR come to the Switch. I mean, I know they can't do it with the existing model because there's no... I don't think there's a rear-facing camera on it, is there? No, no, there isn't, no. Yeah, so if they had, like, some kind of rear-facing camera and imagine playing, like, the next iteration of the Pokemon series with it being a combination of, like, um, Pokemon Go and, like, the Let's Go Pikachu kind of mentality to where you're you're literally, as you're... If you're walking you can pick up items and, and find Pokemon while you're walking or while you're just mm. playing the game. Like, I think that would be, that would be amazing. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that happening. Yeah. Um, I think definitely Pokemon Go and their other mobile apps, I think it's the start of something else. So I can definitely see AR working um, on the Switch someday. Um, whether that's going to be in a Switch Pro or Switch Lite, I don't know, but yeah, I can definitely see that happening with Pokemon and even like a future Zelda game. Um, yeah, it's definitely a lot of potential there. An AR version of Bayonetta would be great. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. That would yeah. be fun. <laughs> it really would, yeah. I, yeah, that'd be amazing. But I tell you what, I mean, what is like the, like the game that you can't help but come back to? I mean, not just like Tetris or the Switch. I mean, are there any like particular games that you just kind of can't help but go back to as like comfort food almost? <gasps> Oh, man, I don't have any that are like classics, um, mm. but man, the, the new Spider-Man game was really good. <laughs> like it was, yeah. <laughs> it was just very, very, I think I beat, I think I beat the storyline in like two sessions and I um. still just pick it up and I'll just swing around town, you know, do a couple of missions or whatever and, and then, you know, put it down and it's, it's just one of those things, like you said, you know, there's. There's these competitive games like Overwatch and things like that and Hearthstone. I play a lot of Hearthstone, but at the Mm. same time, when I just want to get away and like not have to play against other people and just kind of relax and enjoy the game, Spider-Man is definitely the way to go. It is, yeah. It really is. I I do. Before I sold my PS4, I was playing Spider-Man. It was amazing. And I just, I really want to see a sequel that involves Venom somehow because he's my favorite Marvel character. I would love to see him in the actual Marvel universe, you know. And just to have, like... Oh, I think I lost you. Uh, oh. Can you hear me? Yep. Can you hear oh. you now? Yeah. Oh, oh, great. Um, I'll, I'll just repeat. Um, so yeah, just to see like like Venom and to use like the symbiote suits in Spider Man, you know, and to just go in like all in that. Oh, that'd be amazing. And to also like see Carnage in it as well, another symbiote. I mean, just yes, <laughs> all of a yes. I'd love to see that happen. Yeah, that I think that would be really fun. And and insomniac has made really good games like i mean they made spyro Mm. like spyro is definitely like one of those games that like crash bandicoot spyro those kind of games are what made me a gamer like i'm i was i had a nintendo i think i i think like my nintendo game was like teenage mutant ninja turtles like that was probably the game (laughs) to play on that but 
other than that, like once I got a PlayStation, it was like sports games, sports games, sports games. And, right. and but they were they never felt like there was any way to progress in them. Like, yeah, you could win games and playing the game was fine. But like when you would beat like Crash Bandicoot 2, like that, that was probably the first game that I actually like 100% completed, got like all of the gems and like all of the things. And it just like felt like I had achieved something. And mm. I I need more games like that. And that's what I really like about Spider-Man because like I think on Spider-Man I'm like 97% uh complete yeah. to a perfect run on it and I'm just like I it makes me want to go back to it and play it more just to hopefully mm. get to the point where I can play in like <laughs> the uh what is it the one the one shot mode where like everything you get <laughs> everything dies with one hit including you. Like yeah. I'm really excited about doing something like that. Yeah, that, that's such like a fun aspect of like the games now. I, I love things like that. I mean, even just like say like on the Switch, I mean, I'll just go back to Sonic Mania. That's a favorite game of mine or just Onimusha or, you know, Cuphead. You know, there's so many games you can just come back to and just play for like, you know, a good 10 minutes, half an hour, 45 minutes. And just lose yourself in it and just chill out. And it's it's great. I mean, even earlier, I mean, I was just playing um the classic Star Wars Battlefront 2 on my Xbox One. And I, I lost three hours to that without even realizing that never happens in this day and age, Jay. But, you know, I lost so much to just playing like classic Battlefront 2 from 2005. It was so good. I can't believe it. And uh, yeah, I, I just I just love games like that. Just the ones that keep you coming back for more. I love that. So, yeah, brilliant. Cool. Um, I'm going to ask you something else. <laughs> sure. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm an open book. I got all the time in the world. That's fine. So, I mean, we've covered the games. We've covered the chilling out. That's great. Um, and, of course, you know, thoughts on the episodes as well. Um, I mean, is... Uh, let's see. I mean, how do you feel, like, say, with like maybe like just the iPad in general? I mean, would you want to see an even bigger iPad appear perhaps? Like a like a 20-inch super-sized model where it's just playing all the classic Netflix films of your time? Um, you know, I've, I've had – I got the first-generation iPad Pro uh, probably about six to eight months after it came out. And I got yeah. the third – I got the 12.9-inch. And I was like, oh, look how big it is. It's, you know, it's, it's great. You know, this is big screen with good, re- you know, good resolution. And, and then I tried to, like – lay in bed and watch it and like look at it and <laughs> i just remember holding my arms up and eventually being like wow my hands are getting kind of tired <laughs> so when when we got these new ipad pros i, I got one for my wife and i because my wife is my business partner and um she right. helps me with invoicing and everything else and <clears throat> and i knew like there's no way i'm walking into this house with just one ipad because she would, she would kidnap it <laughs> So this time around, we actually opted for the smaller iPads, the, uh, the was it 10.9 or 11-inch iPad? And yeah. honestly, I love it. It's, the smaller form factor is great because of the, the thinner bezels. I don't feel like I have a smaller screen. Um, yeah. it's, it's lighter. It's easier to hold. I just kind of pick it up and run around. It's great. I love that. It's, it's like the thinnest like Apple device that they make. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. But yeah. I think I, I sat there 
and I sat at the Apple store and I would like, I got on like the, the smart keyboard and I typed on the 11 inch and then I jumped over to the 13 inch and I was typing on that and I jumped back over to the 11 inch. I was like, I think the 11 inch is the better, you know, the better option. So <laughs> I don't know if I would want a, a like 27 inch iPad. I, I, I think more than anything, what I would like to see is, um, I, I'm kind of intrigued as to why they don't want to do a touch pad, like a, a touch enabled, like iMac of some sort. Like I could see right. when the, uh, when the surface studio came out and they were like, Oh yeah, this is like a 27 inch screen that you can lay flat and like actually touch and interact with. To me, that was like, that's it. That's what I need yeah. because I mean, I'm. I do a lot of things, but one of the things that I, I do is I'm a programmer. Like I write code and, but I also work with audio and edit and audio and video. So I love having a large screen to where I can look at a ton of code, figure things out. Mm. But then mm. when I need to edit a podcast, sit there and go, okay, let me just lay this down flat and like interact, you know, actually work on the audio, the waveforms itself. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why I use Ferrite to edit my podcast because it's it feels nice to be able to just sit there and actually work on the waveform, like not just yeah. clicking on it and then dragging it, but to physically like I'm going to select this with my finger or with my Apple Pencil and do things with it. So I don't know if a larger like iPad in its current form would do, but I think mm-hmm. that like a larger touchscreen enabled all-in-one computer something that would combine maybe uh if it would replace my mac mini to where like i could get you know a lot of programming done and then oh by the way i need to go edit this podcast let me just pull up you know ferrite for the mac and kind of do the same thing i think that would probably be more of the route that i would want to take Oh, that's fair. No, that is fair. I mean, I've I've always been like asking myself, like, what would I want to see? Because it's like we said earlier. I mean, we've we're waiting to see what WWDC like is going to bring with the iPad and iOS 13. But I mean, for me, like, because I'm a writer, I mean, I'm just happy using you know the Notes app and Ulysses, you know, in the iPad and just having the split screen for other certain things. So I'm happy with that. But I'm always, you know, happy for a bigger screen, you know, if it's going to like show like my article in a, in a bigger size for no reason at all, why not? <laughs> you know, why not at all? Um, but yeah, I mean, that that's a, a good point because I think with the continuity feature that we saw in iOS 8, I think, I think that's going to be a big thing um, for apps with Marzipan between macOS and iPad because you could be, like you say, editing a podcast on the iPads and when you go to the Mac it won't only just take the files that you're working on through iCloud but it'll almost resume the state of the app that you're using on the iPad onto the Mac version and it can just carry on as normal and I think that would be a great thing to see but uh, yeah I mean that would be something well who knows what we're going to see at DubDub I don't know <laughs> it's, it's all up in the air really you know, bring, know, bringing it back to, like, what the Switch meant for, like, gaming. It was it was the first console that it was a unified experience, whether you were on the go or you were sitting at home. And I, I think that's what I need. Like, and, and yeah. I've, I've had this idea. I, I, I got it from um, 
oh, I can't even remember the name of the podcast now. Uh, it's one of the podcasts I listen to. I only, I only subscribed to like 180 of them, so I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but uh, someone was talking about how the new Mac Mini, and this was before they announced it, um, mm. what they were hoping the new Mac Mini would be would be a dock for the iPad. And that you would just take your iPad, set it into the Mac Mini, and it would just be a keyboard. And when you did that, it turned into a full Mac OS presentation. Like, it, it was it was basically turning your iPad into a laptop by setting it down. And then mm. you still have this whole USB-C, you know, you can... It's it's literally just like, oh, you connect it via USB-C, you can connect it to a monitor. You know, you can do all of these things. I mm. thought that was like... To me, that would have been a revolutionary design. Like if I could just take mm. my iPad Pro and like you said, be editing a podcast, be editing some video and then, okay, I'm back home. Let me get to my desk, attach it to my keyboard, which would look just like your standard, you know, Apple Pro keyboard. And then yeah. all of a sudden, you know, it connects and my monitor turns on and I have that that point up. And if I want to use the, the iPad screen as a trackpad, I can, if I want to just type something Mm. on the keyboard, I can like that to me would be fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, it's, I think that's something that we are going to be expecting really, because when they announced these new iPads, they were saying about like multi display and, and demo in the DJ app. I remember more, you know, it was saying that now you can use you know like just not just the iPad screen but when you hook up to a monitor you can see two different outputs of the same app i feel like that's coming in june so i kind of can't help but feel like you will be able to do the work that you can at a coffee shop perhaps then when you go back to your office when you dock it into your you know your monitor or airplay or whatever format it is the app will then split into two segments from your iPad and your monitor. But then again, I have to say, I mean, it also comes back to the keyboard as well, because I've said before, I mean, the Magic Keyboard is great, but I want it in space black. And they also want those function keys to work primarily on iOS because there's a lot of wasted function keys there. And to go to the Apple Store and customize it, so you can choose between macOS or iOS function keys and have it shipped out to you. I think that would be a great thing to have for the iPad. So I really want that to come to it as well. You know, that that is probably the biggest headache that I have using my iPad in like Luna display mode is that mm. I, I had to, I use Alfred and I overrode the uh, command space bar for spotlight to just pull up Alfred instead. But the right. problem is, is if I'm using my iPad and I hit command space, it takes me out of the Luna Display app and then presents the Spotlight Finder on iOS. So what I had yeah. to do was I programmed Alfred to accept, I have to use um, Option Command Space, but then on my my desktop, I'm so used to using Command Space that I had mm. to set up better touch tools so that if I hit Command Space, it just hits Command Option Space for me. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's like, and, and that's the thing, like, I feel like, Apple is the best at creating a unified ecosystem that is simple. That is, I mean, that's the reason why we pay way more money than we should for products that Mm. are usually a generation behind whatever the latest innovation is. Because let's be honest, Apple's not putting out a foldable phone in the next three years. That's just not going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 
But when they do, they're going to create a foldable phone that connects to your Mac in some crazy way that also does this cool thing with your watch. And, you know, they'll probably have glasses out by then. Who knows? And and that's mm. the thing is they, they do such a great job combining all of these things together. But then yeah. there's always these little things that just don't work. And it almost it's jarring because the the experience is so smooth until you hit a certain point. Like, why is yeah. it that whenever I connect my Luna display, when I connect to my Luna display, like I have to leave my Mac mini on 24 seven. Otherwise, if I, I try to open the app, it'll be like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know what to do. And then I have to literally go in, log into my Mac mini, open yep. up the Luna display, sometimes physically connect my iPad to the Mac and then disconnect <laughs> it and then like be good to go. Like, why yeah. not just make it like, hey, do you want to connect to your Mac? Cool. Here you go. Click this button, log in. <laughs> cool. You're there. Like there shouldn't have to be some other app that's yeah. doing this. I, I would think that they would they would be the ones that will want to Sherlock that product. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to obviously go down on a downer on this, but you know, the thing is, is like the iPad as it stands in iOS, it is still iPhone OS, regardless of the name change that happened with iOS four. It's still an, an enlarged iPhone OS, mm-hmm. but with split screen and a dock. You know, that's really when it boils down to it, that's really all we have at the moment. I think it's just the fact that the hardware aspect of the iPad and what it offers in the speed in the screen and the USB-C actually as well is what kind of really thinks and helps us go towards the iPad because it's such a great design. And with the App Store ecosystem and the developers there to get behind it, it makes it a compelling product. But you need that extra step of the software and the operating system to really put it to the next level. So I feel like if we're going to see, you know, all these improvements to the iPads, I do feel like we've got to see this iPad OS. A lot of people disagree with me out there, but I feel like that's going to be the next thing. Because if we got, you know, HomePod OS, why can't we have iPad OS? <laughs> I mean, surely it's due for that now to really take it to the next level. I, I do agree that they need to have something that is kind of the in-between iOS and macOS. I don't think that – I don't want to see macOS on my iPad. That, that would just be no, terrible. No, no, no. But at yeah. the same time, like you've said, there there's no reason – there's no reason that I shouldn't be able to plug in an external hard drive into my, my iPad. Like to me, that's yeah. – it's like you said, it's a professional tool. Why can't mm. I do – you know, why do I have to come up with these crazy workarounds to do professional level work on my professional level tool that I pay? You know, again, and to me, that's the thing is I, I the price of these products justifies why there should be more than just these once a year big bang updates. Like, yeah, if if I'm like my, my first iPad lasted like four and a half years which is good because like my my laptop lasted like seven and my phone lasts two. I, I feel like it, it should be somewhere in between. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm getting updates on software all the time. Every single mm. week, there's some update to something that makes something better. And yeah. Apple, feel I feel like Apple, instead of just saying, hey, we're going to do this thing, they hold everything back 
to make this one big announcement at WWDC and then they just don't do it. Like it, it's just, yeah. it, it, you know, you wait five months or you throw a beta on your your device, which kills the battery. Whereas mm. they could just say, you know what? We're going to slowly implement this stuff out. Once we feel like it's good, we're going to roll it out. And then once everything is out, then we're going to release, or we're just going to release the latest update, the latest version. And yeah. we're going to slowly roll out the different features that it's going to promise. And, and I would yeah. be okay with that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I said this with Greg on an outpost show. I mean, it's coming to the time now where we can't really see an update to iPad on the software side. You know, at the moment, it's every two years. But, you know, when it comes to the iPhone and iOS, you know, it's every year. I don't think we should be doing that now. I really feel like it's got to follow like kind of Microsoft's route with Windows 10. There should be like a, a seasonal update. And it should also give developers kind of a head start to let them know that what's coming down the line is a roadmap because then that will get everyone ready for it. And then can, when it trickles down to the developer beaters that we see advertised on 9to5Mac and Virgin everywhere else and Twitter, you know, developers already know of this. So they're ready. You know, they're ready to go on this without them being, you know, the last ones to know, which I don't think is right, really, because even though they say they have a what well, Apple are have a priority for developers and helping them. I feel like it, it should go another way to let them know of what's coming, really. You know, they should know now of what's happening in 13. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are maybe a couple developers out there who do know because they're getting ready for for their performance at the keynote of WWDC. But it's got to be more than that now. And I think to take the iPad more seriously, we have to see seasonal updates to the iPad. We've got to see it as like, you know, I'm not even going to say 13. I'm going to say iPad OS 1. You know, 1.2 is going to be coming in September. Dot 3 is going to be coming in December and so on and so on and so on. I feel like if that can happen, we're going to see a much more powerful iPad so much quicker than just the yearly updates at, at San Jose in June. So if they came out with an iPad operating system, what would they call it? Pad OS? Uh, yeah, to be honest, yeah, just, <laughs> Pad just Pad OS. yeah, Pad OS, yeah, Pad OS, and yeah, we're just bringing it out, and it's compatible with all the iPad Pro models, and your Pad OS is here right now. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> we've also got um, keyboard OS, we've also got trackpad OS, and uh, we've also got dock OS. Everything um, supports so... the T2 chip, though. <laughs> Every, yeah, everything is secured in that enclave of OSs, <laughs> all sixty of them. <laughs> I like that idea. Well, and, and I'm I am interested to see with um, the advertising that they've done for Dub Dub is is kind of like be prepared to have your mind blown. So I'm like, all right, well, I mean, you're saying that, so like, <laughs> you you better bring it because I will be watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do think that it is going to be dark mode first and foremost from what the design gives i mean i know everyone says you shouldn't too much look too much into it like what they advertise for like the announcement of dub dub but i feel like dark mode for ios is coming and especially with that it's on mac os it's always been on watch os and yeah i think it's time now and i really want to see safari finally have a dark mode 
where you don't have to go into private yes. mode to use it now. <laughs> yes, I, that I agree with. I, I think, and and that's that's the thing is if they said you know what every every quarter we're going to release one really awesome thing, and mm. that would give them time to say all right here's our here's our roadmap. We have mm. these four things that we want to implement in 2019. Yeah. Let's you know. Focus on these. Let's get these polished up and ready to go. But then the stuff that's coming up on Q1 of next year, let's start getting that out to testers so that they can start testing it and we can start getting all the corrections done now. I mean, Apple is the wealthiest company in the world. So they can't use the excuse we don't have enough manpower. They can't use the Mm. excuse that we don't have enough R&D. They can't use the excuse of it would be too costly. All of these are false. So why can't they just say, we're going to focus on one thing. We're going to make that one thing great. We're going to have this one team working. Like video game companies do this. Like Mm. Insomniac will be working on the next game for four years. And they will have parts of it being outsourced to other gaming development companies. And their whole focus is get this one part right. And if you do that, then we're good. Like, I don't see why Apple can't do that. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I I, I remember that when they announced um, future versions of iOS 2, you know, <laughs> you know, back in the day, and they kept saying that we're going to bring in push notifications for 2.2 or 2.3. And I remember this. I remember that they were kind of hyping push notifications for a while, and it didn't really properly happen until, you know, iOS 5, really. But... They, they have had a, hi- a brief history where they have said about future releases of iOS of what could be coming. And even when the antenna gate happened and, you know, you saw Steve Jobs do the keynote of like, let's give everyone a case. He said about future versions of iOS 4 of like what was going to be happening for the, you know, the cellular um, signal strength and a couple of bug fixes with the um Oh, what was it? The when you're in a call and the screen turns off, that wasn't working properly. He gave updates like that. So I think to have something like that for iPads on a new OS system, I think that would be fantastic. And to have that just for developers, I mean, don't get me wrong, there, there is go, probably going to be more leaks for 9 to 5 Mac to lap up. You know, they're going to really enjoy that. But I think in the long run, it will help. It will help a lot of people out there. And. I, I just want to see that happen. I think the time of waiting for updates every year or every two years for iPad is over now. We want to see these updates happen and we want to happen now, really. <laughs> I, I think that what has happened is the the keynotes for um, all of the iOS devices and the lab and the new devices when they come out and then the the keynote at WWDC. Those are such big events now that they feel like they have to bring something. I would, I mean, if if I've gone to a few developer conferences, that's what WWDC is. It's a it's a conference hosted by the people who make the products that people are developing on to come together and like the the talks that happen throughout the week. They're boring. Mm. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. to, to like the common person, like for, as a developer, I'm like eating it up. I, I love listening to it, even though I don't, yeah. I don't program in Swift. It's, yeah. but it's, it's still like a developer conference. It doesn't have to be like a rock show. It doesn't have to be a concert. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. It should yeah. just be like, 
Here's our projected timeline for all of these different things coming out. Here are a bunch of talks about how you can support them in your code. You go to the talks that you want to go to. All right, every all the press can leave now, and then let's let the developers have their time. And and yeah. that's the thing is so many people are now going to like AltConf and CocoConf and, and all of these other Apple ecosystem adjacent conferences and nothing new is being announced and people are still having a great time and people are still enjoying it. But meanwhile, the city that is hosting that conference isn't almost at like crisis mode. Like if no one flies to San Jose if they're not going to WWDC. <laughs> like it's, mm. it's just not a thing <laughs> unless you live there. Like yeah. I, I went to San Francisco around the time of WWDC, not even to go to the event. But, like, yeah. hotel prices were absolutely outrageous, as they always are. Um, like, everything was upcharged. It, it's like when I was in the military and I, we would go into port somewhere in a foreign country. And, like, for three days, everything was five times as much as it usually is. And it, mm. it, because they know, like, it's still cheaper for us, so we still pay for it. We don't care. But <laughs> at the same time, like, we didn't have a choice. And, yeah. and I feel like that's what this whole glorification of, of these events have become. Like, it's not a conference anymore. It's a it's like a dog and pony show. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 I can see what you're saying there. Yeah. I mean, Monday is all about, like, everyone finding out what's happening and what's, you know, what um, people are going to expect from their phone that they're paying a monthly contract for. And I get it. You know, I, I understand that people have a need to, you know, kind of see what they're what they what we want to use um, from their phone or device in the future you know um because we're in a society where we want to have the next thing now you know we, we're impatient we, we want to use this in a different way and boredom and curiosity has happens to us much more frequently now in this day and age uh i mean i tried to get to wwdc this year but it hasn't worked out unfortunately i'm trying to go next year instead because i just feel like attending those community events would be such a fun thing to do and just to hang around really not not to go to the conference itself just to be to you know um like live shows of podcasts whether that's gruber's or mike hurley's or you know anyone else's or maybe even like yours or maybe mine who knows you know and why not but that would be such a fun thing to do really and i think you know just to you know, just to attend that kind of thing would be such a fun thing, but also to have a, a different insight into how people see WWDC now, you know, because I think, like say, it's not really just a development conference anymore. It's it's more like a, a meetup, a get together of, you know, podcasters, users of iOS, fans of Apple and developers and business owners, really business owners of their apps. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what could happen. Well, it's like what happened with VidCon. Like, originally, mm. the idea of VidCon was let's get a bunch of creators on the platform to come together, figure out how they could be better creators on the platform. And yeah. it turned into let's make this Comic Con for YouTube. And and that's what it that's what it has become. And like, I've had people who, you know, are like. I'm really thinking like the next thing for my brand needs to be YouTube videos. So they buy a right. ticket to VidCon, they go, and then they're like 
this was the the biggest waste of money I've ever done. <laughs> and and that's what I feel like. I mean, like you said, there there's so many adjacent conferences for Swift developers and things like that. Why yeah. not promote those conferences by not doing this big reveal at WWDC, but saying, hey, you know what? We're going to, Phil Schiller is going to be at Mac stock to talk about something new at Apple. And Tim Cook's mm-hmm. going to be at CocoConfs. And, um, you know, John Gruber in conjunction, you know, in partnership with Apple will be presenting something at XOXO. Like, I, I yeah. think that that would be a better way to promote the brand, but to do it on a like a, an annual schedule because like when if you follow like any of the Apple podcast scene it's basically up until the up until like from the beginning of the year till like April or May they're talking yeah. about what's happening what's going to be happening at WWDC and then from <laughs> yes. there it's just like okay a month or two about our thoughts on what's happening what happened at WWDC and what we can expect with the new phone or device release. And then it's like, okay, the new phone and device release just happened, so we're going to talk about that for two months. And then at that point, you're near the end of the year. You take a month off for the holidays, and then you're right back in the swing of it again with, okay, well, what's going to happen in the next WWDC? And, <laughs> like, that gets old. <laughs> like, I, I don't – I don't. Yeah. I'm getting to the point, and I guess I don't know if it's an age thing or what, but it's just like I've been an Apple user for so long I just I don't care anymore. It's just like I know yeah. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy a new iPhone every year or two. I'm gonna buy a new iPad every three or four years. I'm gonna buy a new, you know, Mac based computer every five to seven years. Like it's gonna happen regardless of what they pitch to me. So there's no reason for me to sit there and and like I didn't I didn't install any betas last year. And I thought I was going to feel like I was missing out, but I didn't. I, I don't feel like I missed anything. It was just like, oh, okay, yeah. well, no, no betas. Oh, oh, iOS 12 is available. Cool. Let me let me download it now. I guess. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, my buying habits for Apple products has changed so much in the last few years. I mean, I used to work at a phone shop and be the tech guy, and I, and I would upgrade the iPhone, you know, every year because you know. One reason was because that, you know, I'm a tech guy. There's going to be people there who are going to be buying the iPhone on launch day. So I should have like a an insight into how these new iPhones are working, how they benefit, you know, the, the um, over the older versions. But, you know, it, even af- after I left and now I've just kind of thought, what's really the point now? Because I'm happy with my iPhone 10. I can have that now for the whole contract length of three years. And my iPad, I mean, I can... I upgraded to the 12.9 when it launched, and I'm happy with it now. I mean, again, we, like we said in the show, I just want to see updates on the software side. It's there now for the hardware. I'm right. I'm using Ulysses. I mean, I don't need the, the latest chip to do that at all. I don't need the latest A12 Bionic te- times two, you know, Omega Red, you know, version for it. I don't need that at all. All I want is a better keyboard and better split screen support and dark mode and and i'd be happy with that jay honestly i really would so you know my buying habits are just um, i'll upgrade every two three years you know that's fine i'm happy with that again it's the software i just want to see it i want to see it happen and i think like you say i mean if say like phil schiller was at a different conference or tim cook was 
maybe just make it as a festival, a festival where they host it at Apple Park instead, because I think that could be going that way. Because I know Phil Schiller said on one podcast, he said um, the ticket sold out in a matter of hours and they're bursting at the seams of where they're holding it now. So I think just to bring it all in house, really, and to have it so that they have the space and you know they've got the space they've got a spaceship from close encounters there now so it's <laughs> surely possible that they can bring it all there now so um yeah i just think um, there's a lot of change coming with um dub dub soon so uh yeah i'd be curious to see but i have to ask actually jay i mean would you be interested in doing a live show at dub dub like one day would that be something that you'd be keen to do I would love to do a live show at, at Dub Dub one day. Um, I would have to get tickets. So, and 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 that's I think that that is probably one of the reasons. Like you said, you know, they have this whole lottery system, and the way that it works is everybody has to book their hotels, they have to book their flights, they do all of that stuff before they ever even find out if they have a ticket or not. Mm, and yeah. To me, it would just be better if they were like, all right, WWDC, we're not announcing anything other than like, we're just doing these talks. Here are the people that are going to be giving the talks. It's a two-day event instead of a week long. But Mm. in a month, we're going to have AltConf and we're going to be talking about a couple of more things. And then we're going to have MacStock live at Apple Park. Like that would be crazy. And then like, Mm. we're going to have all of these adjacent events. But like you said, Apple is large enough that they could host the conference. Like they yeah. could give them the space to host the conference and they would, they'd still make money. <laughs> like they, <Yeah>. and then <laughs> the city of San Jose would be happy because then you have more tourism throughout the entire year instead of mm. in just one week. And yeah, I think that would be the thing. So, I mean, I don't, I don't see myself like I live in Southern California. So like for me, I would, I would have to fly so that's a hundred dollar, you know, plane ticket. Which luckily, that's that's not bad at all. But then <laughs> you get there, and it's like hotels are outrageous. The food is outrageous. Everything is outrageous because there's a million people there. There's traffic mm. everywhere. It's hard to get anything done. It's loud. Mm. It's noisy. It's busy. If they did smaller events, but did more throughout the year, I think mm. there would be it would it would disperse that crowd a lot. But the business owners in the city would still benefit from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, like even just every six months, that would, I think that would really be a great thing. And, you know, they have, they have the infrastructure now. They've got the technology where they can, you know, move a lot of this online. I mean, you know, all of the talks are are streamable and you can download it off Apple's website like pretty much a couple hours after, you know, they're, they're held. I mean, I know the State of the Union ones, um, they're, they're, they're streamable like an hour after they're ended. So, I mean, it's, it's possible there now. I mean, I, I was just thinking actually like the name Apple Park. I mean, that could have a whole different connotation, like to sound like a theme park almost, you know, really where you can just go to a developer conference at Apple Park. I'm not saying that Phil Schiller's going to dress up as like a Buzz Lightyear, like Universal Studios <laughs> or Disneyland <laughs> and go on a roller coaster of like Apple products. But, you know, I feel like that there is a way where Apple can have their cake and eat it, have everything in house, have every three or six months just for developers or certain developers and then just bring out those features to the iPad, you know, slowly, 
but it will appease a lot of people out there. So, yeah, I think the once-a-year thing is almost running its course now. Yeah, I think it's time for some kind of change to happen, and I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever it, it will be. Mm, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I, I can see that happen, but, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's an interesting one, but we're we're not far away from WWDC even. But um, I think another question, um, if I've got time, um, is there anything specific from um, iOS 13 apart from you know dark mode and keyboard support or other things? Um, is there anything else that you really want to see come to uh, the system in 13? Um. The one thing I know they'll never do, <laughs> probably, which is um, give me some area of a Unix system to play around in. Um, and and again, yeah. it's it's the argument of these are professional devices, but yet I can't do professional. I can't. Well, I can do professional work on them. I do professional work on them, but. I have to be selective in the professional work that I do on them. Um, again, just the developer in me talking. I don't like the fact that I can't develop applications for iOS on the iOS platform. That, right. to me, makes no sense. There's no other device. Um, I can technically develop Android apps on an Android device. Like, that is a thing. <laughs> like, that is doable. Um, but I cannot do that on the iOS side. And I think that has to change. I understand yeah. why you wouldn't want to do that on, like, an iPhone um, yeah. But again, you have this gorgeous display. You have um, this amazing setup, and you're handicapping it because of limitations that you put in. And again, it's for user safety. I understand that. But I think mm. that there has to be a way that you can do this um, so that you can develop. I, I would love to make an iOS app on an iOS device. I would love to see the the first iOS app that was made 100% on an iOS device. They always talk about that. They're like, "Oh yeah, we're going to we're going to give you this video or this like commercial that was shot 100% on an iPhone, you know, 10." And mm. like that's amazing. Now give me the app that's made 100% on an iOS device and make it a, a featured app in the App Store. Like show me that that's possible. Give me the tools that I can do that. And that's when I'll be like completely like over the moon, you know, happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you think Swift Playgrounds is kind of like the start of that, of Apple kind of bringing maybe Xcode to the iPad? I mean, have you had experience with Swift Playgrounds so just to see whether it's feasible on the iPad? I have. Um, and, and it's it is the idea of. I feel like shortcuts is closer to Xcode on on an <laughs> iOS device than iOS Playgrounds. Like oh, that's I was interested. iOS Playgrounds was a great idea. Um, it, it was a way to if you wanted to try something out, like oh hey, could I do this thing in Swift? Yes, I can. But then mm. it just lives there and it's stuck there, and you can't do anything with it. Um, to me, at least with shortcuts, I can take that work that I've done and implement it and actually have it do things that are useful <laughs> and not just like, <laughs> hey, I have this emulator that runs Swift code but is but can't really connect to anything. 
Like, I feel yeah. like iOS Playground should have been what Shortcuts is. It should have been, um, I don't know if you do any kind of coding or not, but there's an app called Scriptable where it's, it's literally the ability to write JavaScript code and have it basically do things similar to what Shortcuts does. And, and it's, a device, it's a code that it's something that I do very often. I actually have a, a YouTube uh, video where I show making a newsletter for the largest Python podcast in the world. <laughs> like I <laughs> like I do their newsletters and I, I actually do them in JavaScript. So don't tell anyone. <laughs> but it's funny <laughs> because I, I literally hit two I hit two buttons and yeah. it sends a message to MailChimp and says, hey, create a new campaign, blah, 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 name it this and all this other stuff. And then I go into Scriptable and I push a button and it goes to those websites, it downloads the mm. information, it formats it, and then it gives me the base template for that week's newsletter. And then I just go in and, and tweak a couple of things and then it's done. And to me, it's like, I should be doing that in Swift Playgrounds. I should yeah. be able to do that in Swift Playgrounds, and I can't. So, mm. like to me, that's where I'm. I'm kind of bullish on the on the sentiment of like, give me the ability to do power things with my professional device. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there are you know examples just like that where you just think, why can't I do this on iOS? I mean, even just having you know, your iCloud drive and not being able to just select a file and go share this with someone now, like you can do with Google Drive and Dropbox. You can't do it on iCloud drive. And it's those like very simple, short limitations that can frustrate a lot of people out there. And I can totally understand where you're coming from, Jay, because I think, you know, there is the power there now with the new iPads. Um, to be honest, actually, the whole iPad line, really, it's possible. You can do it. You know, there's no question of it now. And... I feel like, you know, it. I think that would be a great thing if they kind of demoed something like that in June and went, oh, and by the way, this demo that you've just watched on this big screen, it's all been on an iPad and you can download it today as a public beta. I think that would just be brilliant. And especially for developers like that, that would be, a, you know, it would be an incredible thing to see that just running on an iPad itself. I and mean, I think if they even bake an Apple Pencil to that as well in some kind of wizardry form, um, that would be something that a lot of developers would love to see. I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I haven't got an Apple Pencil yet, though, on that mark. I have to uh, admit that. So I don't have one right now, but maybe whether that's going to be improved in June once again. Um, I could look into that. But, I mean, my drawing and my writing is absolutely awful. Um, I can draw stick men just about, but that's about it from me, really. So I don't really have a benefit for the pencil just yet. I use, I use my Apple Pencil for editing, like for, for audio yeah. editing. That is that is the sole use of it. <laughs> and it is it, it works. Like, it works really well, like... Imagine like people talk about having a mouse on the iPad. To me, my Apple Pencil is that mouse, and it's yeah. it's perfectly fine. It's actually faster than um, you. You like games, so there's a uh, there's a game called Osu O S U, and it's like a it was kind of like this touch point garage like 
Touchpoint, not Garage Band, Touchpoint Rock Band, like Guitar Hero kind of thing, where they have music and there are different tap points, and you have to hit those points and do certain things with each point. Um, right. Really amazing game. I used to love playing that game. But I noticed that a lot of the um, higher level players in in the Kore- in like South Korea and in Japan, they would use a, a Wacom tablet and like tap on the screen and use like a, a stylus and it gave them that precision and the ability to react faster than what you could with just a regular mouse and keyboard. And I feel like that's what the Apple Pencil is for me. It's like that, like I need to edit this specific piece of audio. Okay, let me, let me, like I said, let me like swipe over and do some tap points with my pencil and then hit a bunch of things. And it's funny because it sounds like it's just like, you know, but things are happening and they're happening faster than I can do with just using a, a keyboard and my finger or uh, even on like my desktop. Like I could edit my audio on my desktop. Like I have the software to do that. I don't <laughs> do it because the iPad, it feels more comfortable. It feels more intuitive. And honestly, it's more fun. And yeah. to me, there's something there's something to say about that. And that is that is the power of the iPad, but also the convenience of having a stylus type device uh, to use with it. Yeah, I have come across some games where it says it is encouraged to use the Apple Pencil, but I just use my finger. And it's a weird thing because it just reminds me of using a DS but I'm using it on a 12.9 inch screen and it's, it's such a weird experience, but it works. And I'd love for more games to kind of take advantage of you know, the pencil to, you know, for that, or even just, you know, like Nintendo kind of bringing out certain games like brain age. I remember on the DS, that was a great game. I mean, bring that to um, iOS on the iPad. That'd be amazing. I think the problem with that, though, is and then you're basically telling them you have to buy this $150 accessory. <laughs> so that's, a, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a big ask for, you know, well, for someone, especially like, you know, as a father, like if if my daughter wanted to play some game, I'm, I'm not going to buy that game if I have to buy another $150 attachment for it. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, maybe if they kind of refactor it to say, well, you can use like your fingers to, you know, make a certain numbers and things. But if you get the pencil, you can unlock this special world. So maybe, but um, if that sounds more enticing, Jay, then great. But if not, I'll just stop this now. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So yeah. I do think I am gonna have to run though. Um, my wife is asking, are, are we still going? To, it's 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 the afternoon for us, so. Uh, we have errands to run, apparently. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I was just um, just keeping it going, really. So I wasn't sure when to end it. So it was so up to you. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, this has been absolutely perfect. It's been fun. I've had a blast. Um, definitely yeah, want to keep up with you and, and maybe chat more often. But uh, I'm going to stop my recording Thanks, there. Yeah.